Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, I was instructed to say something cute, so I just like to say uh, puppies and kittens. <laughs> and who else is joining me today? Hi, it's it's Eric, Eric Van Allen, news editor at US Gamer. Hello. Hello, I'm Matthew Olson, reporter at US Gamer. We're both back for this episode, Eric and I. Surprise. <laughs> Eric wants to talk. Everyone drop their shit. <laughs> this is a I love you, Eric. You have good opinions. <laughs> no, I don't. That's why you bring me back. <laughs> to take the heat. I have Eric and Matt here because well, I don't know. US gamers going away in a couple weeks, and there's only four of us left. Actually, this is Nadia's second to last day. Yeah, the next time you hear me, um, I will not be affiliated in the least with US Gamer. And uh, I have very, very mixed feelings about that, but that would take a whole episode on its own to go well, over. I'll just keep dragging you back onto the podcast anyway. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm obviously going to be here every time. Like, no one can stop me. I'm a machine. We get this question <laughs> on Twitter a lot. But yes, Pod- Axe of the Blood God will continue after US Gamer is gone. The Blood God lives on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the the top goal, and hopefully it'll work out this way, and we think it will, you won't even notice much of an interruption. We're just going to, like, power on. All right. Well, we're, as always, we're going to go through the RPG news. We're going to talk about the Game Awards, recap all of that, the Mass Effect reveal, etc. Um, and also, we have, in the second segment, a big old Cyberpunk 2077 review roundtable with Polygon reviewer Carolyn Pettit. And VG247 slash RPG site reviewer Alex Donaldson. If you enjoy the podcast, can I recommend that you give us a review over on the podcatcher of your choice? It brightens our day. We always enjoy reading them. And it helps the visibility of the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, as well as Twitch at twitch.tv slash catbaileytv. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at cmoosi. That's S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And Matt is at Matthew Olson. That's one T for some reason. Matt, why do you only spell your name with one T? <laughs> uh, that would take a podcast of its own <laughs> considerable length to explain, <laughs> I think. So we'll just we'll just say it's because it's Swedish. Oh, it interesting. That. Okay. Oh, are you Swedish? Again, we're not we're not going to get into it do in this do podcast. Do do. <laughs> <laughs> are you a Swedish monster or a fairy? I was actually in the Game Awards last night. I don't know if you uh, noticed that segment. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to criticize somebody's spelling, given that I have a somewhat non-traditional Irish spelling of my name anyway. So we also have a newsletter. It comes out every week, but maybe not after this. <laughs> this is my this might be it. <laughs> Nadia, what was the topic of the newsletter this week? <laughs> Sayonara Wild Hearts, basically. Just uh Yeah, it's the end of the end. Um Hopefully, once we get settled back in, I'll find a way to to distribute my writing to the Blood God fans. I think I will, but it will take a little time to just kind of get our bearings because our first priority is the recording. I, I just want people to, you know, stay safe, take care of themselves. Thank you so, so very much for supporting me all these years, and I hope you continue to support myself and Kat. Uh, never in a, a billion, trillion years did I expect that, number one, I'd have like a thousand people sign up for that newsletter. Uh, wow. Number two, I never thought people would care about me on a podcast. I never thought I was radio material, even though my uncle is in radio. So I guess it kind of went through the genes or, or something sinister like that. But uh, I am greatly humbled that people want to, to listen to me and interact with me. And, and thank you so much. Nadia, we love you. 
and also, I mean, your writing has been a shining beacon on US Gamer for a lot of years. You've been a, our, you have such a unique sense of humor. I've been, I've really, I really always enjoyed reading your pieces, not the least because you're easy to edit. <laughs> Very clean. <laughs> I have heard that. Yeah. Uh, I, I did give like Katie an aneurysm once or twice, but generally I think you guys have been, <laughs> well, first of all, you're all excellent editors. I've learned so much about editing even these, these past several years, like no matter how old you get, you can always learn how to edit your, your writing. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad I did not cause you more agony than necessary. I think we've all given Katie an aneurysm at some point in our lives. (laughs) 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 Yes, we, we all had, we all had that one quirk that we never let go of and she would just like all caps us (laughs) out of the blue. Okay. Good times. Good times. All right, everybody. Let's continue on to the RPG news. Last Thursday was the Game Awards. It happened. Uh, the Jeff Keighley uh, Adapalooza. The big commercials for 2021 <laughs> and 2022. Stuff happened. RPG stuff really happened. Um, various news items. I think the first one, the, the most meme-worthy moment, I feel, of the entire show was Sephiroth stabbing uh, Mario through the heart, or so it seemed. Actually, it was just through the overalls. But yes, Sephiroth is yeah, that was actually Smash Brothers. really clever. I did not see that coming. To be honest with you, we were all watching the, the awards together and uh, d- just seeing what the reveal would be. And I, I recall I started banging on the table and yelling because it was so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I still think my favorite reveal was the original Cloud reveal because that was just mind blowing for its time. And then Joker, who also debuted at the Game Awards in 2018, I think it was. And that was a really fun debut. And I really wish that we didn't know we were getting a reveal yesterday, but Jeff Keighley kind of blew it. I think, as Eric said, he was maybe worried that people wouldn't come to his birthday party. So he was just <laughs> like, hey, there's going to be a reveal, guys. I, I swear, I swear, and a pinata. But I, I thought that was a really, I mean, I love the Smash reveal movies. They're a highlight of the game industry, I think. We got shirtless Sephiroth. I mean, what more can you want? That's that's the most important. We have definitely got shirtless. I also love the fact that like everyone's like, no more sword users, no more sword users. Okay, here's here's the sword user to end all sword users. Here's the longest, skinniest <laughs> sword we could find. Uh, it re- Mune, man. It really makes me feel like Square Enix had some sort of deal with Nintendo at some point, like because we've had Cloud and and Dragon Quest and stuff like that. That they were like, okay, well, we've got to get another character in because like. Kind of would have liked to have seen an older Nintendo villain. I like Sephiroth as much as anybody, but I, I was a little bit hoping that another Final Fantasy character would be like an older character, uh, like like a Kefka or something. I would like that. But I would I would like Kane. That would, oh, be, Kane would, would have been possibly dumb. too deep of a cut. So yeah, I mean, come on, this is the game that put Fatal Fury in. Seriously. <laughs> Hey, hey, Terry Bogard <laughs> is a national treasure. That is a Everyone right. loves Terry. <laughs> My main hope for Sephiroth is that they do right by Final Fantasy VII because the last when they put Cloud in, they had an okay stage. Cloud himself was fine, but they had like two songs from yeah. Final Fantasy VII, which was yeah. really annoying because it's like, come on, Square Enix. You're not cutting into your album sales. If anything, you're spurring album sales for so mm-hmm. stopping so stingy with the dang music. I've I've noticed that um, the stage that Sephiroth is coming with, I think, is the Northern Crater where you fight him in Final Fantasy VII. And uh, 
that has Judgment Day, which is one of my favorite Final Fantasy tracks. It's just this really hard driving, you know, descent, a great song for descending to your own death. So I really hope that's included. Of course, you're going to have one winged goddamn angel because you have to. Uh, and um, uh, there was one other I was really hoping to that we'd hear. But those are the main ones that we're going to get, I think, is Judgment Day and uh, one winged angel. <laughs> also revealed during the Game Awards was Mass Effect. Please go crazy, Eric. Oh my lord! I mean, I think I got, <laughs> this is your time. I think I got all of it out last night, but literally we were on a Discord call for the Game Awards, and it starts out, and you know it's all spacey and stuff, and it's just kind of zooming in. So we're all going like, "Oh, maybe they're are they really going to show Starfield here and stuff like that?" I think yeah, Nadia, I think Starfield. Yeah. Starfield. Nadia, you said something like, "Is this Mass Effect?" And I was like, "No, nah, they haven't shown a Mass Relay. That they would that show me, a Mass Relay Eric, by now." Give oh, that me was credit. Okay. That was Cat. It was Cat. Yeah. 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 And I was like, "Yeah, they haven't shown a Mass Relay yet. They would have by now." And then a Mass Relay showed up, and I Eric, was. It was. The, the, <laughs> I remember the sequence that. events was like Cat said that you said like Nah. I mean, it's not in there yet. And then I heard something in the radio crackle that's like playing at the start where I was like, is that a Mass Effect reference? And then it cut to the uh, the mm-hmm. mass relay in space. Like, I assume at this point you've gone over the trailer so many times yes. now that you know what all the early chatter is and the deep cut references that they were um, sprinkling in. The first one is just the, I think it's the Orson Welles um, War of the Worlds. Oh, really? Read. Wow. Um, that's like the first thing you hear. And then there's some other stuff, but the other one that's of note, that's the reference that you probably heard was the Arcturus station reference, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a reference to the first contact war, which is when humans discovered that there were other races and went to war with the Turians for, I think it was like 48 hours or or 72 hours or something like that. So, um, yeah, that was all a reference to all of that cuts to the destroyed mass relay, uh, before panning down to a snowy planet and a figure climbing up the side of what looks like a derelict Reaper and then finding an N7 logo on the snow and they look up and it's Liara. And throughout all of this, I was just screaming incoherently. <laughs> in there he went, He's not joking. He literally was going, ah! And I'm like, okay, Eric, call that, ah! involuntary i like i completely did not expect this um like we've we've gotten at most hints and like even with mass effect legendary edition they were like oh yeah by the way we are working on another mass effect like just you know mentioning it here so i a i did not expect anything of a teaser up to this point like uh, certainly not something as meaty as this is um and also all the stuff that's rolled out afterwards, um, Mike Gamble, who's the director on the project, has been retweeting a bunch of folks who are now announcing that they have returned to Bioware. And it's a lot of people who worked on the original trilogy. Um, so it's very exciting. <laughs> um, I think this concept trailer is not quite enough to go off yet in terms of where they're placing it in the timeline. A lot of people, I think the current the current speculation is that it's set in the Milky Way, but like enough years after the ending of Mass Effect 3 that they would not have to deal with the immediate ramifications of the ending of Mass Effect 3 and could kind of deal with it more in the abstract, which makes sense to me. Um, and they also uh, showed two galaxies at the beginning, which uh, Mike Gamble noted uh, was very, it, it was intentional, as he put it, 
um and they have they don't seem to be ruling out the idea of tying andromeda into the goings-on of this this new mass effect game but i mean even compared to just the dragon age teaser that we got the game awards which was honestly like it was pretty it was nice but it was a lot of nothing we still don't have a name for that dragon age game and we still <laughs> we don't have don't a name have for bioware except we'll return yeah like it's it's literally like all we got was a really nice cutscene and solace looking like beefed out like solace has been hitting the gym <laughs> <laughs> since trespasser but uh he's swole now solace is swole everyone yeah it's like besides <laughs> that like to not get so much from Dragon Age and then suddenly turn around and we already have this reveal of Liara in a new Mass Effect game. It was it was enough of 180 that I was just ecstatic. And it also like just rekindled a lot of the good feelings I have about Mass Effect. Uh, same as the Legendary Edition did. So, yeah. I have a few That's thoughts. Cool. I, I'm happy for Mass Effect fans. I have a few thoughts. Uh, thought number mm-hmm. one is stop trying to make the Andromeda Galaxy a thing. Just drop it. The The Milky Way galaxy <laughs> is far more interesting. It's a much better setting. We don't even need Shepard to make that part interesting. You can tell many different stories in that setting. Andromeda was a failure. Its, it's races were bad. Its villains were bad. Its characters were bad. Just forget about the Andromeda galaxy. It didn't happen. Uh, part two, <laughs> Dragon Age. Can, would it kill them to find a art style that actually works with that series? My God, they've gone through so many inspirations over time. It needs a visual style that is immediately identifiable. It looks like a mobile game now. Seriously, I do not care for it. I I think the big change is just that with every entry, they kind of radically change where the game is set. Uh, especially with this one, they're going to Deventer for the first time. So it's going to be a lot more magic and weird fade things going on and stuff. So they're going to be leaning a lot heavier into those inspirations. Um, But I think more than a visual style, I think the frustration that has been voiced online is very justified is that the big takeaway from that trailer is they're saying that it's a new hero and they need a new hero to take over and to lead the charge against the dread wolf and all that. And that feels kind of cheap compared to like all of what inquisition and trespasser sets up, which is the idea of Solus as this villain and the inquisitor as the person that can stop them and the ties that you can potentially create there. And so to just be like, create a new character and they will be the ones to fight Solus, Like that's, kind of frustrating i think we talked about this the other day cat but it's like yeah um the idea that a lot of games have been able to create even bioware has been known for creating these series that carry a character across and make a character feel very known but dragon age always kind of spikes the the person that's at the lead and and changes them out for a new one and it would have been nice to see them stick with the lead for once and that's kind of a bummer yeah that can work if you have a separate adventure every time kind of like skyrim but dragon Mm -hmm. age wants to have continuity from game to game and a sense of progression so it's weird to just sever all ties to the previous game for the most part and make you start fresh i don't like it okay so that was our mass effect and our dragon age reveals also disco elysium finally we got to see console version the ps5 slash ps4 version will be out in march the switch and xbox versions (laughs) will be out in the summer um 
that was our best RPG of 2019. It's a really, 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 really good RPG, and you should absolutely play it. So, uh, that- I am excited to play it now that it's finally coming to consoles. I'm just not sure if I'm going to play it on PS4 or wait for it to come on Switch or by some some miracle of Almighty God again to PS5. Play it on that. Um, I haven't decided yet. Just Believe, play it on Nadia. something. It's short. Yeah, just play it. It it is like I want to say maybe a 20 hour game. You can get through it probably in about that span. It's so worth it. Also, looking at the awards that happened, uh, well, the takeaways were Hades was mostly snubbed, which was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. The Last mm-hmm. of Us. Two I'm surprised romped. it even got. It, yeah, I'm surprised it even got as, like as much as it did, like best indie and best action. I thought it wouldn't even get that much. Yeah, it was a it was a kind of a humongous letdown, and I think the voters didn't do a great job as usual. I don't really understand the media <laughs> as usual. Why is the media so bad at this? Do better. Well, the whole the whole series, the whole he he just sat there rattling off uh, awards even before the show began. First of all, there was really incredible performance of Last Surprise that kind of got shunted off in the middle of No Man's Land, and I'm really disappointed about that. Uh, and for the awards themselves, these what this show is supposed to be about, but let's not fool ourselves. He uh, Keeley just kind of sat there and like. Five awards in a row. Here's best RPG. Here's best soundtrack. Here's best direction. Okay, let's go to more ads and more trailers. And it's just stop fooling yourself. I don't want to go too far into it because we all know the Game Awards is a mess. But uh, it was just kind of a dispiriting and annoying night. But uh, also in terms of the added RPG category, which again was just completely glossed over. Yay. Uh, Final Fantasy right. Seven Remake wins RPG of the Year. I'm going to just... Go ahead and disagree with that choice uh, and mm-hmm. leave it at that. wonder if it's because not enough people who are voting have played Yakuza yet. Because, mm. I mean, mm, very possible. Me personally, I, I'm actually someone who enjoys FF7 Remake and it'll probably be on my game of the year. Yeah, list. so do I. But Yakuza is just, it, it's it's going to stick with me for longer, I think. Um, Yakuza is just so much more of an RPG. I mean, I like Final Fantasy Remake very much, mm-hmm. but... It has very deep flaws, whereas Yakuza, I feel like it is the ultimate tribute to JRPGs. Like, I have not seen better. I don't know if I ever will seen better. And if you read my summary that will go up at the end of the year, once we publish that list, I kind of go more into it. But it's just such a shiny example of what an RPG can be. And I feel like it, it should have gotten the nod. At least it wasn't Genshin Impact. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Um, okay, we can all agree on that. Do we that think game in that category? <laughs> do we think that we're setting ourselves up for a situation here where the further installments of Final Fantasy VII Remake continue to win RPG of the Year in you know various award shows until you have like parts one, two, three, four, however many they make, all having like goatee status? Sure, uh, it should be uh, it should be reverse Return of the King, where only the first one wins awards, mm. and then all the other ones. <laughs> <just> <laughs> Even if it gets better from there, the opposite of a legacy award. <laughs> to be clear, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake is a perfectly uh, worthy winner of this category because it really did actually have a great performances, beautiful graphics, really yeah. solid battle system, a wonderful next gen, a realization of Midgar. They they hit the style and the tone of the original Final Fantasy VII while also updating it. That's no small thing. I think that they yeah. really did such a wonderful job of updating a lot of the core elements of Final Fantasy VII, making them relevant again. And 
I mean, Aerith and Tifa and and Jesse and all of them that they make it worthwhile just by mm-hmm. themselves. Again, I I'm, I'm a broken record on this front. I don't like the dungeon designs, and I'm still yeah, significantly yeah. at odds. Not necessarily with the fact that they changed the ending of Final Fantasy VII Remake Part One, but the way they executed it, which was so freaking Kingdom Heartsy, and I think was at <laughs> odds with the spirit of the original game. If you're going to update the game, I really want it to be consistent with the themes of the original Final Fantasy VII. This all feels so out of left field just so that they can be like surprise it's a remake you didn't think that it was going to be a true remake did you ha ha it's like okay yeah but whatever i'm mostly worried about how heavily crisis core is being implemented into the story which is fine i love crisis core but nobody nobody knows it. nobody has played it because it's nowhere except on the psp I, i just find like are we are we cool on seven spoilers are we saying this is a remake spoiler let's not zone? spoil it um, okay, well, let me just say then that like the way that game ends, it feels like they got to the end of writing that game and they knew like what they were going to do in terms of like obviously establishing that this is a remake that they are going to do significantly different things than what they originally did. But like they hit the end of that game and we're like, oh, right, we need to have like a climax of some sort that feels like the ending to a normal video game that you would buy for $60 and not like an episodic (laughs) installment. Because you could have just ended it at some other point, but that would have been an anticlimactic thing. So they're like, all right, let's do this really big giant thing instead and have certain things happen and certain fights occur and let's just do this. And I was like, I remember sitting there and playing it and being like, I'm only vaguely familiar with the story of Seven, but this seems like they're really jumping the gun on some stuff <laughs> and putting some things <laughs> that's, in here that's a good that way they, putting it. they could have held back on a little bit, but somebody somewhere was like, oh, right. Uh, other video games have pretty big endings, so we should probably do that too. <laughs> anyway, as I was, kind of, I tweeted that Last of Us Part 2 is a great game that I will never think again about again after this year, whereas mm-hmm. Hades I will probably be thinking about forever. And I think... Maybe the same goes for Yakuza Like a Dragon. It is just a really tremendous Mm -hmm. JRPG that I think deserves to be uh, cataloged with like some of the greats. I mean, it's not perfect, but what is? Um, I think its strengths outshine its weaknesses. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree. That's all of the RPG news coming out of the Game Awards. We got a long RPG roundtable for Cyberpunk 2077 coming up. Lots to cover. Lots to discuss when it comes to both the good and the bad, so stick around. Don't go away. Okay, it's time for our Cyberpunk 2077 review roundtable. I have two reviewers on call who have reviewed it for Polygon and RPG site, respectfully. Uh, And who is joining me right now? I am Carolyn Pettit. And I'm Alex Donaldson. Hello. Welcome. And I'm especially thrilled to have you on the show, Carolyn. This is your first time, but I absolutely loved your Cyberpunk 2077 review. Yeah, thank you so much. I was thrilled to have the opportunity. It was definitely, it was a game I 
I've had in my eye on for a long time. I'm a, you know, I'm a big enthusiast of the cyberpunk genre, you know, the works of William Gibson and, and a lot of films that fall into that category. And also given, you know, given the, uh, the discussion about, you know, trans imagery and identity in the game that's been raging on for years prior to release. Um, I knew that it would uh, be a game I, I, um, I wanted to, I wanted to be part of the discussion around. So I was thrilled that Polygon gave me the opportunity to, uh, to review the game for them. I think between the two of you, you did a really great job of being able to hit all the points at this sprawling game because Carolyn was contextualizing it within the genre and talking about queer representation and everything. And Alex was doing a lot of these things too, but also he was really hitting at it from a very kind of gritty RPG perspective right. um yeah this is this is a very in-depth game there's a lot to break down i think yeah and and i appreciate that um you know i mean i i i like i hope that we're although there are people of course like and and gosh particularly the discourse around the GameSpot review has been just so infuriating toxic. and toxic yeah. to witness but um and i have some you know solidarity with callie uh you know as somebody who's been yeah absolutely in, who's been in the thick of, you know, uh, tidal waves of fanboy rage and, and, you know, everything and who, but, but, you know, I, I, I hope because Cyberpunk 2077 is so massive in scale and so multifaceted, you know, that really like no review can approach it from all angles, like at one time. Right. And, and nor should a review in my view necessarily attempt to do that because part of the value of games criticism you know, is getting different kinds of perspectives and things that focus mm -hmm. on different things. Um, but I hope that that we are, you know, increasingly with stuff like the GameSpot review and, and you know, and my review to a certain extent, just just the, the diversity of reviews around this game in general, moving to a place where people less expect like um, sort of just exhaustive checklist reviews of every game <laughs> that like tick off li every little feature and every little thing that exists in the game and that ha happens and so on and 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 allow for for reviews that are more um you know that that um that do kind of um you know where where the writer has a little more freedom to talk about the things about the game that impact that they feel are most like impactful and and meaningful to the overall experience i guess well, um, and he, well, he, you know, here's the thing with that. In my opinion, something I say in my review is that almost the amount of stuff in this game is almost to the game's detriment. Um, yeah, there's something yes. like there's something like 234 perks, or, I think, or something like that. I actually my sat God, there and counted absolutely. them out. And it's that thing of when people were kicking off about. Callie's review, I was just like looking at it, going, "Look, if somebody didn't want to engage with the crafting." I absolutely can't blame them because there's so much else to do. And almost if, if, if the game isn't almost, if the game isn't onboarding them into crafting in a way that makes them want to engage with it, that's a point against the game. And that's a completely valid point in a review. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And also like I did, like I saw people, you know, uh, saying like she, she didn't engage with all these systems, you know, these core components like crafting. And I'm like, dude, fuck. I suck. So, Crafting is not a 
a core component in this. It is totally a thing you can ignore. It is like whatever. You can use it to create a little ammo or some weapons or whatever with stuff. I mean, yeah, I guess you can invest like a lot of perks and stuff into that if you want, but it's it's not like some some uh central part of your experience of this game and in, in my view it's not it's not like in the last of us where you know crafting weapons on the fly is some sort of like it builds tension and it's like woven into the combat or whatever like this is just like it's a menu you go to and you hold a button down and you make something like that's whatever i i don't know so yeah like seeing the the i i feel like a lot of the those responses are because like oh you haven't played the game yet. You think this stuff is like is Super like important. really well integrated and central mm-hmm. to this experience, but it's not. It's just it's all just like menus that you page through, and you know, and you can like whatever you can d- deal with them or not. But they're not like they're not a, a, re- a required uh, part of your experience of this game by any stretch. Well, this is part of for you know this is part of it's to the detriment of the game, and it's also one of the things that the game does best which i know is is you know um a contradiction but it's that you can go through the game without engaging with certain systems completely you can go through the game and never use stealth um you can go through the game without crafting so yeah i don't think those things are if somebody didn't engage with those things it doesn't invalidate their opinion whatsoever um it's it's slightly stupid like i reviewing it for a role-playing game specific website obviously i was the guy who sat there and counted how many perks there were but (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah i mean there is value absolutely don't get me wrong like there's absolutely value in in reviews that approach it in that that like nuts and bolts way that like really dig into you know um all of that stuff it's just not it shouldn't be you know a, a um like that's not not every player, you know, a lot of players maybe just want to engage with this game because of the world and the story and, and, you know, whatever, like it's not invalid to, to not, you know, obsess over the, as you say, like the, the, the nigh, like overwhelming number of like perks and things, which are like, you know, and again, like whatever, they're, they're not like most of them in my view are not like game changing perks. It's standard stuff. Like, Oh, your melee attacks do 10% more damage or like whatever. It's very standard. Like, character skill tree kind of stuff um for the most part um so it's not like you know it's not like some like re- revolutionary game-changing thing that cyberpunk is doing with that stuff there's just a whole a whole lot of it yeah i think that it really speaks to this weird culture of wanting to review video games like they're an iphone which right. i think that if you want video games to be taken seriously, don't review them as an iPhone, okay? If you want people to understand the emotional impact and the resonance and what it actually adds to the genre that it's creating, you don't review it as an iPhone. Yeah, but there, there is that weird tension for me of like a lot of the same people who say like games are art, let's treat them as art, seem also to be the people who like what they mean by that isn't let's engage with them thoughtfully and critically and like and tr- the same way we do with say you know, or, or comparably with how we do with novels and cinema and, and so on and so forth and music, it, they mean like because they're art, let's like just um, let's uh, n- not not criticize them at all, right? It's more like it's more like let's just put them on a pedestal and be like they're amazing, they're great games, or and and like that's no, like I mean it's because I believe in games, the power of games, the value, their impact, 
you know, that because they've changed my life, because I know that they can be great, like that, that I respect them enough to want to like engage with them more thoughtfully and more like critically. Um, that only makes sense to me. So, all right. Well, let's talk about the game itself now. Uh, so when it comes to Cyberpunk, one of the things, one of the overwhelming things that I picked out was, A, this game isn't nearly cynical as the marketing makes it out to be, which is honestly a relief to me because the the marketing makes it seem so tacky in so many ways. And then also Night City itself is just an incredible accomplishment. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Alex? Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Like you, you, you look at it, and uh, there are side quests that have that sort of Witcher, Bloody Baron lineage, right? Um, there's interesting, like one of the most interesting side quests in the game. I won't get into any spoilers on it, but it it, it involves a man who, a murderer who is who has become a, a reformed, born again Christian, and basically he wants to record his own death, his own execution for his crimes and distribute it. And you have a role in persuading him whether he's going to do that, whether he's not going to do that. And it's all, it's all text. It's all dialogue. It's not, none of it is blowing people's heads off. None of this, none of it is this loud, crass bombast. Um, and there's plenty of that in this game. The, the, one of the things I say in my review is I, I say that Johnny Silverhand, Keanu Reeves character is almost, uh, he represents the whole game in the sense that he is crass and unlikable really. Um, and just has this attitude that, you know, is sort of a screen, uh, you know, a skin crawly, creepy guy really. Um, and yet he's got lots of charm and yet you get to know him a bit more and you realize he's got quite a lot of heart. And that, this is, that is almost cyberpunk with the marketing like the only when you first meet him is the marketing and then you dig into the game a little deeper and you start start doing the side quests and stuff and you realize hey this game actually um it has something about it it's been written by by people who care like the, a lot of the characters have a lot of nuance to them there's characters that you will love it, that you will come to love in the game but it is so often shouting its head off and the volume at which it shouts sort of diminishes how good that stuff is. I think that uh, analogy is is really apt. The you know Johnny Silk and uh, I mean I described it as as the soul of the game. You know, if Night City is the star, but Johnny's the Johnny's the soul. But as you, yeah, like that kind of the 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 cynical exterior where you can sense that there's more going on under the surface. And yeah, I mean this is. To thank goodness, you know, my big fear going into this game was just like, am I just going to be wallowing in like um, the cheapness of human life and like dis- you know the disposability you know of human life and like just raw cynicism and nihilism for like fifty plus hours or whatever? And no, not at all. Like, um, you know, we it, it, this game is the roots, like the you know part of what made The Witcher Three so exceptional you know, it was that humanity at its core was those, those stories that you encountered in the world, the people of the world that gave it its texture and, and all that. And, um, I mean, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to put this on par with that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think this is like an achievement on the level of the Witcher three in, in that no. regard. Um, but you know, but 
you do encounter those human stories through, you know, throughout your time in Night City through, you know, through through Johnny himself, but but also often through through the through the side quest chains and and a lot of those quests, like as you say, like there's so there's a, so many quests where you know a lot of what you're doing or the entirety even sometimes of what you're doing is not like there are whole you know sort of multi-step quests that have like no combat whatsoever but that are all about like um um you know paying respects to a to a fallen uh you know friend or things like that like um so you know they they weren't um the designers of this game were not like um um we're not feeling like, oh, we have to constantly keep, uh, you know, make sure the player is constantly like uh, doing combat and doing these like these kind of quote unquote gameplay things or they'll lose interest. Thankfully, they were brave enough to like take the time and say, like, we want these atmospheric moments. We want these moments where you're just having these long conversations in the back rooms of 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 exclusive bars or in like seedy hotel rooms, you know, that are just like building up plot or building up character and um and you know that to me is like is what redeems this game you know or like i mean that's what that's what makes this game worthwhile for me is that it has those human elements um um kind of throughout so i just started cyberpunk myself mm-hmm. so i'm like relatively uh, you know relatively early in um so i haven't even met johnny silverhand sure. yet but yeah. I think that a few things that stand out to me was, first of all, I really liked the whole desert sequence. Um, so you, so you, you chose the nomad life path, I'm guessing? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's totally different, right? If you pick Street Kid or Corpo, I assume? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so like I can speak to Corpo. Corpo, you, uh, you start out in a big corporate office. I think it's actually Arasaka Tower. Yeah. And you actually take a trip to a bar that you visit much later in the story Mm. Um, and there's some corporate shenanigans going on basically where uh, people are betraying each other and backstabbing each other and it's a very fast introduction to how cutthroat uh, Night City (laughs) is and I've done Street Kid as well because I did it at preview and that is you're trying to boost a car Um, what's interesting actually is you in each of those stories you meet Jackie in a completely different way as well which is cool um, cause it contextualizes your relationship to him in a different way. Could I just say that I, I like Jackie? <laughs> like I wasn't expecting to like Jackie, but he was an immediately kind of, mm, I, I want to say friendly guy that yeah, I was yeah. like, Oh, you're, you're all right. You're a good partner. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. He's fun. He's cool. He, uh, he's a positive sort of presence. Yeah. Um, it's just a shame about, uh, years back. The first demo they ever did of Cyberpunk, um, the excellent Natalie Flores wrote on RPG site about sort of the the way Jackie, as a Latino person, just peppers in uh, Spanish into mm-hmm. his dialogue all the time. And she wrote a thing saying, like, nobody talks like this, or very few people. And she just felt it was a bit of a stereotype. And what's weird is he and his mother are the only people in the whole game who speak like that. <laughs> I <laughs> wish she didn't do that. There, but other than and I, that. Yeah. And I do think there's a larger issue with this game that I didn't talk I didn't touch on in my review. And I don't think that I'm like the the most qualified person to speak on, but that I I'm sure and I or I'm really looking forward to writers to people who, who, you know, who are perhaps more qualified 
digging into this aspect of the game in the weeks and months ahead now that it's been released. But there is a way in which it it does the it, it treats as a sort of core component of the cyberpunk genre, a kind of fetishization of um, the other through 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 ethnic identity and through language. Like, um, like, it's weird to me that, um, like, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not like racist to have a, a, a Japanese character from Japan who speaks with a Japanese accent, right? I mean, that's not like racist in and of itself at all. But the, the fact that, like, the overwhelming majority of Asian people that I encountered in Night City were, like, um, either, you know, from Japan or, like, were clearly, like, um, uh, they, sp- you know, th- their speech was indicated that they were like very recent immigrants or things like that you know and and it says california city in 2077 and yet like so much of the texture of like the movers and shakers and like the people who feel like really integrated into society are like white um or i don't know it it just it does seem to be doing this thing you know kind of maybe going back to stuff like blade runner of like you know of, of of like enjoying the the kind of the, the exotic texture that comes from from using people of, of, of you know non-white people people of color to to lend that kind of um, a kind of like exotic texture to a world um, See, in a way that's kind of that's a little unfortunate I, I was just gonna say I agree with some of that but also you know living in big cities I feel like in my experience at least if, if you're walking around um you know, more segregated areas. If you're going to the little Tokyo or the Chinatown or whatever you, regardless of if they're first generation or second generation, you hear a lot of that. You hear a lot of them speaking their native tongue because they're speaking to other people. And so like, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a character in the game that you meet who is a, the the most prominent Japanese character in the game, let's say, um, who, and, Whenever he speaks to you in English um, with a with a, a pretty thick Japanese accent, but whenever he meets another Japanese person, he just switches over to Japanese immediately. And something I really like in the game is the subtitle treatment for that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. where the subtitles appear in Japanese and then flick over to English as if you have a Google Translate in your eyeballs, which completely fitting with the universe and that goes for the haitians too and the and the the spanish the spanish gangs and all that sort of stuff and that sort of implementation i really like i do i do agree to it to an extent where this totally has right those elements of like the techno orientalism of the 80s that was really i guess for this genre defined by blade runner more than anything that's in this game to the core um that's an interesting debate because it becomes this whole thing of like, is that problematic or is that just a staple of the genre and that's it? And I think that's a, and that's the debate that I certainly don't feel qualified to, to speak on in much detail. It's the same thing with like um, the whole sort of side plot they have with the dolls and the joy toys, which for people who haven't played the game is basically like, um, like, almost like robot prostitutes, but not quite. Um, there are threads and elements of that that are obviously pretty dicey, uh, but it's also a real, real staple of this genre. Like the, the, the comparison I make yeah. in my in my review was I compare this game to Altered Carbon, the Netflix show, in the respect mm-hmm. that Altered Carbon 
just just lifts a lot wholesale from other cyberpunk things and doesn't really think about them <laughs> for better right. or for worse. <laughs> yeah, I was like pleased. a lot of cyberpunk media, to be honest. Right, right. I I was pleased that the the stuff what you mentioned about the the, the dolls. I mean, you know, I was pleased that there is a quest line where you can sort where you sort of, you know, you um take up the cause of like trying to liberate a group of uh you know sex workers really work people who work at a, at a club as dolls you know kind of free them from their their exploitative like management right bosses and and stuff so i felt like with things like that the game is at least like it's it's framing you know any any mistreatment of those characters as like as you know bad right and it's like it's as like something that we should resist and should like that those workers should should be well compensated they should be like they should set their their own terms of their work and you know have good working conditions and all of that stuff um um but yeah anyways as far as like uh, this game's handling of of the of all that that the racial racial identity and and the exoticism around that like definitely you know i'm i i i look forward to to the to the larger dialogue around that in 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 the weeks ahead yeah definitely it's 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 complicated and interesting but like i say i do there are elements of how this stuff is presented in this game that i just really adore because it would be it would have been so easy for them to just have that token bit of japanese language sure. and then make all the voice actors flick over to english or whatever language you've got said as your primary language and i love mm. love love that they're like nope you know yeah. this is uh Japanese brother and sister talking to each other. It doesn't matter if it's one of the most important scenes in the game. They're going to talk in Japanese. I really like that. If you don't mind me going back really quickly to uh, talking about how it's almost like you're seeing Google Translate in your eyeballs. I think that they do a fantastic job of incorporating the uh, the presentation, uh, those elements into the presentation, especially like how when you hit skip in the dialogue, it fast forwards almost like it's a VCR. Yeah, I, and... I mean, aesthetically, like just I think throughout like this game aesthetically and in and, and, and so many of its details is, you know, I mean, it it, it nails it. And, and it is very like, um, you know, for someone again, for someone like me who, you know, has grown up with Blade Runner, I, I say in my review that to its credit, like Night City is not like it's not like a replica of of um, familiar cyberpunk iconography. It is very much its own creation. Um, and, but it but it has the 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 signifiers of cyberpunk the things that we've come to like that 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 kind of evoke cyberpunk for us whether it's you know it, it's something about the neon and it's the it's the steam issuing forth from every surface of the environment and you know all those kinds of just atmospheric um atmospheric things um you know for it's just the larger question is like is like it uh, this game to me it, it it's uh um, it makes it feel to me like cyberpunk at this point um, is almost entirely about like the aesthetics and the, this the, the 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 almost the nostalgia for like for um, how cool and cutting edge and and everything this seemed in in say the eighties when cyberpunk kind of first exploded onto the scene and mm -hmm. the aspect of cyberpunk that is or was at one point about like like really kind of um speculative fiction bold like ideas about the future and about technology like that aspect is 
you know, is less uh, important here than than the than just the 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 kind of that nostalgia for you know for like what cyberpunk kind of looks like and and you know i mean i love i love how it looks like i'm not complaining about that um but it it just it does it is weird to me or it is interesting to me that you know a genre was once like so much defined by like um by like exciting ideas about what the future could be now feels like it's defined largely by by this kind of nostalgic vibe for like for like how sci-fi looked in the 80s or whatever it's totally 80s nostalgia right it's like you know we actually have an example of a modern vision of a cyberpunk dystopia in video games in the rebooted deus ex games i think they Mm -hmm. are much more of a of a of a 2010s 2020s vision of those same themes and it looks completely different to what we have in cyberpunk cyberpunk is totally that it's part of the whole wave of 80s nostalgia right like you look at a lot of the cars and a lot of them have that sort of i described one of the cars to someone else today as looking like the car out of knight rider like (laughs) yes that is that is what they are that is what they are going for Um, and, but to their credit, like you said, they, they do move away from that. It's like, it's, it's got an interesting look. And one thing that surprised me is how bright and colorful the game often is in the sense Mm -hmm. that in the daytime, it's got that West coast golden glow. And then there's all the neon as well. And I actually found myself wishing a little bit that it would rain a little bit more often because when it rains, it does look more like Blade Runner. (laughs) I also Kat mentioned earlier the the desert you know for, that that she visited you visited in the because of your nomad life path and I was so glad for the so that air, that air is called the Badlands and I was so grateful for its existence because I do find it so sparsely beautiful and I do find I did find it such a welcome contrast with Night City itself right I mean because Night City itself can feel so kind of crushingly claustrophobic and you know just because it's it's so cluttered and and the buildings are just so massive like that opportunity at times to to get out into these wide open spaces and to look on night city from afar um you know it was like being able to breathe sometimes so um i think i think having that area in in the game for tonal contrast and just just to, to offer a different kind of atmospheric a vibe to the player and to some quests and things it was really um was, was really a great a great move on their part sorry Kat, I, I just want to say i just think on that overall level the the world is just astonishing it's the mm-hmm. best designed open world um outside of rockstar stuff in mm. a long long time just in terms of how even when you're going out to the badlands the way the city slowly breaks up and doesn't just mm-hmm. stop in most games they don't have the sense to do that you right. you know you get to the city limits and it's just like it's just like clicking your fingers and it's done um it is it is super super brilliantly done and and, and yeah it's second only to they must have studied the way rockstar have done things a lot <laughs> yeah, you really get the feeling that they that they they studied like I mean I think how cities work in general like how cities are you know and 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 that they drew on I mean they I, they drew on the rich history of Night City from the tabletop role playing game because you know which has gone through generations of iteration and has seen like 
oh, here's what Night City's like in 2020. Here's what it's like in 2040 or 2043 or whatever year, you know, uh, that is. And, you know, how the city changes there. They really incorporated, I think, those things into the design of the city so that it really does feel not just like a space designed for a video game, but it feels believable as a place where people have lived and built and, you know, and and things have been struck down and revised and rebuilt and, you know, over across across decades. And that really makes a huge difference in terms of how how rooted you feel in in the world as you're playing. I think it's fun just riding around in a car and looking out the window. Totally. Um, the flip side is that I am playing on the PS4. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> that what, what, is what sort of PS4? Okay, so let me rephrase that. I'm playing the PS4 code on a PS5. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so that's not so bad. It runs really well, but the screen looks like it's, it kind of looks like it's running on minimum settings, yeah, actually. sure. So I think that it really, unfortunately, kind of impacts the how hard the visuals hit in a lot of ways. It's it's passable. It's fine. Right. Especially when I'm interacting with the characters, I'm engaged. But when I'm in Night City itself, uh, the textures seem quite spare on the console version. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they didn't... All the... As far as I know, all the review codes they sent out before... Uh, yeah. You know, before release were PC only. And, you know, it's it's not hard to imagine why. Um, but, uh, I heard that the PS4 base version drops as low as like sub 20 FPS, which is just totally wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Like uh, I've been thinking about this a lot today. I started playing on Xbox, which sounds like it's actually a bit better than PlayStation. Um, I've played a bit on the Series S and a bit on the Series X. Xbox appears to have an exclusive performance mode on next gen. Don't know what oh. that's about, but Microsoft had a marketing deal as well, so maybe they've, I don't know, maybe they're a bit further along with the, with the next gen work. But there is actually, I believe, some sort of. Um, I haven't actually touched that, but I started thinking about it today. I was like, how many points do you knock off for how this game runs on, on the consoles? <laughs> this gets back to the whole reviewing games as an iPhone thing. And here's the thing. If the game itself is good, in a lot of ways, I can forgive performance issues because I think that in a year or two, it won't really matter all that much. The game is a kind of a living organism that will grow and develop. What matters is the core. Am I right? I mean, but I mean, I don't think we can. I don't think we can be we we can't like treat, you know, major, major performance issues as like negligible. Yeah. But but yes, like I, I certainly think agree with you that the core is is what matters but i think that as an industry we fixate too much on performance issues and forget the the broader like importance of the rest of the design i think it depends a little bit like i you know a peek behind the curtain when we were talking about the score on rpg site um i was very lucky in that there was another guy on the on the same site who was playing it as well so between us we had like we had like 150 hours logged and we played on wildly different setups both on PC though. Um, and we were talking about the performance and I sort of said, if it were most of a video game developers, publishers, I would be less inclined to give them as much of a pass as I gave the game for its performance on PC for the bugs and stuff. However, I'm very aware that The Witcher, Wild Hunt, 
released in a pretty sorry state itself and they fixed it very very quickly on the whole and the game got to a place uh, that it would not have got to if it was a Ubisoft game that had launched in that state or even a Square Enix game that had launched in that state I mean people are still going on about the FF7 door right um and so in that sense I was looking at the game and going this is the quality of the game and I expect that most of these issues that maybe 75 80 90% of these issues will be gone in 6 months um because they've got a they've got a good track record frankly um we will see if they hold that and then there's a whole second conversation around that which is the developers have already crunched they don't particularly deserve to have to well they definitely don't deserve to have to crunch again to fix all this stuff um but you know by hook or by crook cd project has a has a history of sorting these things out I think that I don't want to diminish the importance of putting out a a strong product, a strong polished product. I just think that as it gets annoying when it starts to overtake the entire critical discourse and it's literally all people can talk about. And I think in general, people fixate too much on graphics anyway. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I, I, I mean, I strongly, of course, of course, I strongly agree with you about that. Like, yeah. like seeing people seeing in my Twitter feed, you know, or or seeing tweets rather of people who are treating like, yeah, um, these sort of performance issues as like the defining thing that matters about the game right now or about the game period. Like, like if a game performs well, you give it a good review, you know, like like almost like one of the only legitimate reasons to to knock a game in a review is because of you know performance issues or something like that like that's just i yeah i'm I'm not i do not subscribe to that to that yeah and 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 i want to be clear the stuff that i got hung up on was bugs it was having three major quests that just had scripting errors that meant that i couldn't progress them yeah Um, and and to cd project's credit um two of those three have been unstuck by patches that arrived during the review period. There's only one now that I've got that's still stuck. I can't finish the Delamin tab quests. Oh, I um, had, I had that one stuck for a bit, but it, somehow, somehow it, it kicked in for me. Um, but yes, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I had, I had some of those issues as well. Um, but m- most of what I encountered was, you know, it was like pervasive but minor stuff. It was like, oh, you know, a character T posing in a in a whatever in a, in in a bar. It was um, it was like I'd so there's a thing you can do. It reminded me of like the issues with Roach in The Witcher Three because there's a thing you can do where yeah. you can like summon your car, um, just like you can summon Roach. And um, there was one time where I summoned the car like twice rapidly or somehow and and they sp- like two cars like spawned I- inside one right inside of the other and then after like five seconds one of them like just ex- got got sent like there was a loud bang and one of them just got sent flying into the air and and then you know and, and landed kind of nearby um so you know just like zany stuff like that stuff that was almost more yeah. humorous than anything yeah i had cars on the highway getting AI, ai path confused and not realizing where the highway exit was and just driving into a wall and because right. they weren't designed to path there they were driving into the wall and then the collision was going crazy and that yeah. was damaging the car and causing the cars to explode and i just stood on the edge of the highway and watched car after car do this yeah, yeah. just going yeah. like yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, for me, stuff like that, like at, at least, you know, there's a, I find there's a certain amusement in stuff like that, right? Like yeah. a, a world this big and this complex with this many interlocking parts. Like, I'm just going to I'm not going to be like, this game sucks because these cars aren't working right. I'm just going to like laugh at it and move and move on. Oh, right? it's it's the Bethesda jank, right? Like yeah, yeah. that is it, it. it's totally that. And the funny thing is, I feel like people as a whole, but especially the hardcore gamers who follow the industry online and stuff like that. And even some people inside the industry have just got way less forgiving about that stuff in the sense that when Oblivion yeah. came out, it was just it was just like, oh my God, this game is doing so many amazing things. Who cares? By the right. time you got to Skyrim, it was funny. And by the time you got to Fallout 4, it was unacceptable. And Fallout 76, it was downright well, disastrous. I mean, and that people game were like, was actually broken. That game was actually broken, right? Like that game was yeah. a mess. It's quite it's a lot better than other. <laughs> I would defend it. Uh, I, better, quote. Uh so one of the big strengths of Witcher 3, obviously, was its side missions. Mm. It told these wonderful multi-part sprawling uh, side missions that had a material effect on the game. You could choose to embrace them and have an impact on the world. You could choose to ignore them. A lot of the stuff that people love the most from Witcher 3 came out in the actual side missions. And I wonder, does Cyberpunk live up to that legacy? No, I mean, not for like, it, like, I think the side quests are the best thing about about the Cyberpunk 2077, probably, or one of the best things. But, but no, like the Witcher 3 is such a masterclass in that regard. And, you know, an admirable achievement, admirable effort in that department. But it, it but these are not, I don't think these are going to live in people's memories and have that kind of like, that profound effect on people that that Witcher 3's side quest did. And I mean, so here and part of my here's, you know, and this is part of what I think is maybe a bit of a weak or not. I, I shouldn't say a weakness of Cyberpunk 2077, but but where something that's revealing for me in com, in comparing the two games. Right. Is that. Um, so, I, you know, the Witcher 3, Geralt is like the, the the core, kind of the moral core of that game, right? And it's a third person mm-hmm. game. And so and the fact that you see Geralt on screen all the time, it, I think like it is part of many things that, that help make him like central to your experience of the game. It's also the way the mechanics, like you really feel the business, the work of being a Witcher in that game with the stuff about like, the the different swords you have to use and like the meditation and the oils and all of these things lend a texture to the game such that it's, it's not just another like hack and slash action RPG, but it really feels like you're, you're immersing yourself in the identity of what it even means to be a witcher. And, and, and the fact that Geralt himself again, has that like core fundamental decency to him and, and a really defined character, I think also really, um, is 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 crucial to your experience of that game you know the in cyberpunk 2077 to me like i mean i'm not a great character like she has a kind of, like johnny she, oh, man. Seems, she has a kind of affected cynicism to her that kind of keeps you and other characters often at arm's length and and i kept hoping like well maybe this will allow for some interesting character development at some point. But in my view, anyway, it never really does. Like this game is not about V as a character. It's a, like, and that's kind of, and I think that's why 
a first person view is right for this game because it's not about V as a character. It's about what you see through V's eyes. It's about the world. It's about what happens to V, but it's not about who V is as a person. But like the, 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 the you know, there's a downside to that, which is that, um, you know, maybe owing to that somewhat, like the the relationships and the you know and and that aspect of the game perhaps never get to feel quite as um full full featured and complex as you know they do in the witcher 3 you know you feel Geralt's love for Ciri you can feel maybe his love for Yennefer or Triss you know depending on how you feel and your choices and and it you know and you, I just don't. There is no kind of equivalent to those things for me in in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. So I'm I'm going to disagree with some of that, but I'm going to also agree with some of it. Um, sure. What I'd say is, with, with regards to V, um, I, I I was tremendously surprised, pleasantly surprised um, by at least with the feminine voice. Uh, by yeah, the, uh, the voice effective, actor. To be clear, I I do think the voice actor does a fine does a fine job. By how effective yes. V is as a as as a character, you know, um, if I think about V versus because it's not even a question of voice acting. There's a lot of there's a lot of shades to it. It's it's about writing and stuff too. Because I think you are right. Like uh, Geralt and V are two very different beasts. They're two very different types of characters delivered in two completely different ways. Um, the type of character that V is, it doesn't mean they can't be effective. You look at the affinity a lot of people have for Shepard, but sure. V has so much more character to mm. him or her than Shepard does. Like when things happen to V and the people she cares about, when V is in jeopardy, and this is nothing to do with the performance of, you know, um, of Jennifer Hale or Mark Mir. V has so much more emotion than, and and so much more of a reaction than Shepard ever has, because it is, and this comes down to a, a thing about the way Cyberpunk handles choice too, which is that really Cyberpunk is a game that doesn't really have as much choice as it would like to trick you into thinking that it does. Right. So. Really, what your what what the, the vocal options you've got are really just flavour. Occasionally, yes, you might be able to if you've got the right stats, charm or intimidate someone in order to get yourself out of a combat encounter or something like that. But really, all you're doing is providing some flavour, which makes you feel like you're V. It's not like you're doing this Paragon Renegade right or left thing, mm-hmm. and you know because of that, that allowed them to write. From my perspective, anyway, I could see them writing V in a bit more of a specific way. And also the Johnny character is key to this, right? Because it would be impossible for the Johnny character to have a relationship with V if V was as much of a blank state slate as Shepard is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think True. V sort of lands somewhere in the middle of that scale. Now, the flip side is, to, to Kat's original question about side quests and stuff like that, it's it's different i do think some of the to explain to people who haven't played the game or perhaps thinking about it the quest inside punk break down into four categories basically there's main jobs side jobs gigs and random open world stuff so the random open world stuff has basically no story 
And there's and there's a, a million cars you can buy. The people constantly yeah. text messaging you about cars they have for sale. Yeah, and those go in and those go in as gigs, and gigs yeah, have a yeah, tiny I, bit of story, but I, they're not story. I couldn't believe how often people, hey V, I got a got a car for sale. You want want this car? Like, oh my god. But, but anyway. the but the the, the side jobs I think yeah. are tremendous, and the four main ones. So the, there's four main key side jobs, and these are the four main. Uh, romance interest characters and basically that's not just one side quest that's a series of side quests that you'll have over the course of this relationship so you might finish a quest go away do other things and then you'll get a phone call off this person that says hey v i've discovered a new clue or i need your help with something new and you go back and forth and back and forth and i think those stories are tremendous i think those stories Mm. are channeling the things that the witcher did best where i think it falls a little flat is in the witcher it felt more like all these things added into and helped to culminate your story overall. Whereas in cyberpunk, um, look, you know, I think, uh, I don't think it's, I'm going to say, I'm going to say how many endings there are. I'm not going to say anything about them, but if you're sensitive to that, skip forward 10 seconds or whatever, but there's, there's five endings basically. Um, And I sort of got a bit of a mass effect, free vibe <laughs> where i was like mm. really my stuff all this other stuff is barely gonna my my love interest you know my the, the person that i've made a committed relationship with is barely gonna factor into any of this at all i was a bit bummed out by that so in that on that front it feels like it falls a little flat especially because these relationships get and these the quests that lead there impressed me so and sat so right with me i was bummed out then when i started to finish the main stuff. And that's too bad because The Witcher 3 does such a beautiful job of incorporating all of that yeah. so naturally into the way that it ultimately concludes. I, I guess, like, we've been talking a lot about, you know, how cyberpunk tackles the world and its representation and everything, but getting a little more into the actual nitty-gritty of the systems, a, a few things that stood out to me. This is This feels like a much deeper RPG uh, than Witcher 3, almost to the point that it's a tad overwhelming. We were talking about the crafting earlier and whether or not you wanted to engage with it or not. And that, and it does seem like you can be pretty successful I- ignoring the systems. Um, I just went through a fairly large dungeon <laughs> where I knew how to hack things, but I still don't really have a great handle on how all of the hacking systems work. And I was staring at the all of the augments that you can attach to yourself and going, oh my God, that's that's a lot of stuff that I can incorporate into my actual character. Great. Um, so uh, do you think that the, the systems are successful? Um, I know that plenty of people have said that, what's the word? The gameplay doesn't help, doesn't boost the game, but it also doesn't detract from it, as it were. I think the shooting's great, but it's uh-huh. it's mm. great shooting by the standards of a game. That like, is, it's, it's great shooting by the standards of a game that is also an RPG. I mean, it's better than Fallout. <laughs> but it's it, no, but it, even even if you put it a, across from say Borderlands, I would say like there's a there's a kinetic feeling to the way the guns work. Mm. There's things like there's there's Call of Duty like touches, like leans around corners and overcover and stuff like that that is really effective. There's the ability to shoot through cover with certain weapons. You can get uh, I think the tech weapons where you can press and hold down the trigger to charge a shot and that shot will be good enough to pierce 
And between that and some of your optics upgrades that let you see enemies when they're behind stuff, you can wreck people from through cover, which is awesome. Um, so the shooting feels real good. But I do think, it's like I said earlier, the amount of stuff in the game almost works to its detriment. And I, I almost get the impression that because the shooting was good, they almost went, right, how are we going to teach people these systems? How are we going to balance this? How are we going to make sure everyone understands something? How are we going to make sure that nobody gets lost? And then they were like, well, if someone gets lost, the shooting's really good and people will always have guns. So screw it. We don't need to worry about it. Almost. Because it means if you go for a stealth build and then stealth isn't working for you in a certain situation or something, then you will have the, the flow of guns is so constant. It's borderlands like that you'll always have a gun that's up to the task of what you're doing and you can just resolve to playing it like a shooter. And I don't know if that sucks or if that's fine. The other thing I'll say is there's so many skills and there's so much going on that if you're a deep RPG nerd, you're going to love it. But if you're less confident, you're going to find it overwhelming. And then respects are like prohibitively expensive. There are a hundred thousand euro dollars. Yeah. So it's impossible to go back if you feel like you've made a mistake. uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And, you know, Callie said something in her review that I was that totally reflected in my own experience. And this may just be down to like, you know, the reality that we were sort of under pressure, having to kind of, you know, you know, run through this game at a pretty steady at a pretty brisk pace in order to meet embargo and file our reviews and everything. But for me, like um, in my playthrough, money was weirdly limited like i just felt like i wasn't getting as much money for completing quests and things as i should have been so i never had enough to like really and, and I, I know the game okay wants you to maybe do all these like gigs and other side questy things to earn like a lot of money but to me that's not it's not good design to like ha- to kind of force players to to, to jump to, to do more stuff than they should have to to be able to like buy you know meaningful upgrades but so you know i didn't get to like experiment as much with like different kind of um ripper dock stuff upgrades you know implants and things as maybe i would have liked um you know and i mean a lot of my experience with the 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 hacks the cybernetic stuff was just like um it was just like you know if i did want to stay stealthy it would be like okay well I'll, you know, distracting enemies like, okay, but, you know, make that radio or that machine, whatever it is, you know, act up. So it distracts enemies. And it just I mean, it was fine, but it also it it just felt very, you know, it's like this is exactly the sort of thing that I'm that I I kind of did stuff like this in Watch Dogs Legion or whatever. It's not it's not like it's fine, but it's also not particularly like interesting and, um, you know, maybe at like much higher levels if you really sink a lot of money and stuff into you know into the 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 things you can like upload to enemies and maybe maybe it becomes really like empowering and satisfying um but you know that was just you know unfortunately that was just not part of my experience with the game i will say that stuff gets good but again it's like you know i love the contagion power which is like a, a a digital virus that spreads from enemy to enemy and it's really damaging. And so it's like, then you can, then you're not using the, um, you're not using the distractions and stuff to, 
to pull enemies' attention so you can so you can move through a space, you're using it to pull enemies together and then you're casting uh the contagion on them and they're spreading it from one to the other mm. and killing each other. It's great. Feels really good. But the problem is, like I say, a lot of that stuff is so buried, the menus are a little bit Yeah. Are, 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 well, I would say a lot in need of some organization. Oh. Um and so it's it's I didn't feel like most of the most of the Ripper Doc stuff I felt like was affordable in the way I played the game, mm. but there were like a couple of big upgrades. It's like um, when I bought the double jump, it was like a game changer. It completely changes the way you move around the city and traversal in that game. The mm. double jump is incredible, but I didn't get it until after I'd seen credits once right. because it was, you know, 50,000 bucks to buy it. Um, and the same thing for like Gorilla Arms, Mantis Blades and the... I forget what it's called, but you know the the the, the laser string, the Johnny Mnemonic thing. Um, the bon- like, monowire. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all like fifty fifty grand each as well. Um, right. And it's a, and although you can find them out in the world, like I found some mantis blades off a side quest. Right. I was a bit bummed out um, by how difficult they were to get to, considering they were like heavily marketed um yeah things but i guess again it comes back to that thing of there's so much side content in this game they want you to have something to aspire to but it just feels like that balance doesn't quite sit as perfectly as it should yeah i mean you know that's so as you say like so much of the game the imagery like what this game sold is like oh man displays and like all the idea of just all these cool uh cybernetic like upgrades and powers and abilities and for it, that stuff just isn't isn't incorporated into the game in a way that you know it's that every player is gonna is gonna have a a good and interesting experience with it as they play the game um you know what it feels like to me and this goes across the board with this game not just with the bugs but with like systems that feel like they have loads of depth to them but they but they're not delivered in the right way mm. the game just needed another year and that sounds crazy because it was in development for eight <laughs> years. But you right. imagine if they'd had time to finesse these systems and think it's about how they like were going to introduce them. And well, plus yeah, four years of pre-production. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. But, but you know, to, to the average Joe who saw the trailer, it's eight years, right? Yeah. I am genuinely – because I remember, like, I mean, Witcher 3, like, you know, it wasn't just bug fixes and stuff. I mean, they overhauled the menus, like, you know, in, in later patches and things. So, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, like – if like yeah, a year from now, you know, you start a new game in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, and it feels just in terms of the, the menus and the way things are laid out and introduced and incorporated, that it feels like a pretty different game than it does right now. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they really, you know, look at how the issues that players have with that stuff and how it could be smoother and better incorporated, and they they make some some significant adjustments to that stuff. And this totally comes back to what I was saying earlier, right? About like with the bugs, um, almost looking at it and going, well, with their track record, you can probably let them get away with a little bit more in a review as far as bugs and technical performance go. Because yeah, based on The Witcher, assuming they have the same level of dedication and care, they will sort it. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised yet. I totally wouldn't be surprised if the economy gets rebalanced, if the menus get redone. Um, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. If, if perhaps even if they change the way some of the ending stuff pan, works, it wouldn't surprise me remotely. Yeah, I think what Carolyn was mentioning, I think, is a good point because, I mean, Witcher 3 really did not become the game of the generation until about 2016 when Blood and Wine came out. And People it's worth have pointing forgotten out. how that game launched. Yes. 
Yes. And when uh, cyber and cyberpunk, uh, they're already claiming that it's going to have expansions that are even bigger than Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. So this game's going to be with us for a while. I was going to say, Kat, there is straight up. Um, if you go to certain edges of the map, uh, the game straight up goes. There's nothing out for you here yet. <laughs> so, like, yeah, they, they 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 have not just built in hooks in that sense. Like, there are roads. There are literally roads to nowhere that when you drive up them, the game goes, come back in a year. <laughs> mm, right. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Yeah. Um, last question, and this is kind of a loaded one. Um, I don't think we can talk about cyberpunk without talking about transgender representation. I think a lot of people have been side-eyeing this game because uh, I think the word transphobic has been thrown a lot around a lot. Uh, Carolyn, yeah. you devoted a large portion of the opening of your review yeah. uh, to this particular issue. And I guess like having finished c- cyberpunk, like what are your final thoughts on this? I mean, Okay, final thoughts is a bad word, but you, you yeah. get what I mean. What's your take? Well, I mean, my my take is that, so, I mean, and, and this is, okay, like, uh, these are complicated issues, right? So you have in the game, of course, um, as, as most people know by now, there's advertisements everywhere that have an image of a model who is, you know, um, I mean... Uh, female coded, right? I mean, we would look, most people would look at her, look at her and assume that, that she identifies as, as female. Um, but um, because of the, you know, skin tight uh, clothing that she's wearing, like, like the, the thing about the ad, the ad is supposed to be provocative because we can tell that this individual is trans and, and, and they're very kind of fetishized and like objectified. And like, it's the whole point of the ad is, is this aspect of the model, right? Um, and, um, and like, yes, within the world, um, you have ads that, you know, like there's lots of sort of porn ads and, you know, sex themed ads that have like cis, you know, presumed cis gender people on them as well. So it's not, but, but the thing is that for me, the thing is because a lot of people will and do defend things like this by saying, well, it's, it's a you know, it's meant to be a critique. Like it's meant to be a world in which like um, people are like objectified and dehumanized or like it's meant to be a comment commentary on, on, on that. And my response to that is no, it's just doing the thing. It's not commenting on it. And the way that the reason I believe that is that, is that, you know, within my time with the game, um, I never encountered a significant sort of like I, I think that 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 Night City should be populated like that there should the trans people it's it's 2077 it's a world in which you know um, people use like cybernetic augmentations all the time they hack their their bodies you know in a sense constantly like um, and yet and yet there's very little like what I would call hacking of gender there's very little like gender transgression that takes place and trans people are at least in my experience really not part of the fabric of the city as you experience it you don't like you know maybe the occasional kind of minor supporting character and in my experience of the game is not like exhaustive obviously maybe if i sunk like at 250 hours i will be able to say like okay yes i've met a few you know supporting trans characters in this side quest in this side quest or whatever but my point is that they're not like the game there isn't real 
tension around the dehumanization of trans people. The game does not say to players, like, via humanized trans characters, like, like trans people are human beings. Trans rights are human rights. And 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 it's bad that, that this world kind of objectifies and dehumanizes them. The game does not take the step of of doing that. And like already right now on Twitter, there are, t- you know, because the character creator does allow, you know, you for whatever reason to to, uh, c- you know, kind of customize your character's genitals um, such that, you know, you can choose um uh, you know, any any of the available genitals with any, uh, you know, gender or like body type that you choose. But so many players are creating, you know, um, trans characters, for lack of a better you know, term, um, just to kind of mock them or like to to as objects of like ridicule and disgust. And and I, you know, we knew that this was going to happen. And and what pains me isn't so much that the game offers those options in the first place but that as i said i don't believe that the game ever pushes back against like a transphobic player's experience of this game will never make them uncomfortable it will never say you are wrong to view trans people this way by by here are trans characters that are that you should care about and that v you know um gets involved with and 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 fights alongside and you know, so on and so forth. Like that just doesn't happen in the game. And for me, that's really where where arguments that it is a critique or whatever um, really fall apart. Yeah, I think that is a pretty fair assessment. Uh, I keep going back to what you were saying with uh, hacking gender. It seems like a real missed opportunity because, quote unquote, transhumanism and that kind of thing um, like it seem yeah. like really intriguing territory uh, for transgender folks, and it doesn't seem like CD Projekt Red really knows how th- they put this stuff in there because it feels like they're expected to do so, but they don't really know how to grapple with it. Yeah, it's I mean, it just feels like I mean, it's just weird to me, a vision of the future of the year 2077 where gender norms still seem so sort of rigid, you know, and like one of the only like prominent what I might call like queer coded characters that I, that I met um, is a ripper doc. Who's like really unsavory and like does like really unsavory things. Um, A character named fingers. Um, Like he is definitely like what we, what we call queer coded in the sense of like, like movies from the 1930s or whatever, where a character isn't like, isn't like explicitly stated to be queer, but they just give off the signal so that an audience of viewer is supposed to kind of know that they're queer fingers has that he has he's like queer coded um and he's like a super unsavory you know character and and so like that like it's just really unfortunate to me that i mean i i just feel like there's so much more opportunity to um present such a range of of gender identities and sexual identities and so on in, in a in a more you know affirming or positive light without turning cyberpunk 2077 into some like like uh, utopia because it you know it needs I, I understand it needs to be dystopian but but the, but it this is it CD Projekt Red knows how to humanize Clear people, people live in dystopias too exactly and CD Projekt Red <laughs> knows how to humanize people they do it all the time it's one of their great strengths like that like Cyberpunk 2077's great strength like The Witcher 3 is in the humanity of many of its characters and of its side quests and and storylines 
And so it's just it's just like you could have done it. Like we know you are capable of it. You do it all the time. You're very good at it. It's part of why people love your game so much. But you just didn't do it. You just didn't do the thing where among all the characters you develop who are complex and three-dimensional and human and who we care about and form relationships with or friendships with like are visibly like trans you know characters it's like they, they, they make an attempt right but it's it's so hidden there is a you know there is probably the most prominent trans character in the game cat i can tell you that you've already met yeah, well, um, I, you mean the one who has the trans flag on their truck? Yeah, and that's basically I, the one hint until okay, they, but, right, like until the they is, out themselves. <laughs> yeah, but that does for me, that doesn't count because 99% of players will never know or suspect that that character is trans. So for me, it's no. like slapping a trans flag on that character's truck is like it that feels more but like at the same way... time incidentally trans characters isn't a bad thing to have no no media. of course not of course not like i'm not i'm absolutely like it's good it's a good <laughs> if thing if anything it's kind of progressive <laughs> uh, it's a good thing on, on its face in and of itself but it's not enough to offset like it doesn't do anything to disrupt like a a, a transphobic again like a transphobic player sure. their experience of this game is not going to be disrupted or challenged by a character who you know who who pa who has passing privilege right who who you would never like you know as a suspect is or know is trans like like that doesn't that doesn't do anything they will just to be mad, the kind right? of tension that i'm talking about they will just be mad right it's like i've and already seen i've already seen dudes having a meltdown because they've discovered you know through social media through googling whatever that one of the significant female characters that's in a lot of the marketing is gay and won't be interested in their male v ah. um, oh my god and so you know that that stuff is it's it's really really difficult the the thing i agree 100 percent with 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 what a lot of you said with with a lot of what you said there like the whole the lightning rod issue of that poster um of that yeah. advertisement is is not the issue to me because the whole game is full of these crass awful advertisements that are supposed to demonstrate how far this world has fallen but what i would say is that they are extremely poor and extremely puerile shorthand so it's like okay there's that particular one um with the trans person there's like many sexual ones of like guys eating ass and like sure. snakes crawling yeah. up naked women's legs and stuff like that but then the one that struck me the one that grabbed me is there's a huge billboard it's all over the place and it's a businessman looking at a chart on a computer and the chart is like you know at the exchange rate or that his stocks and shares whatever and it's plummeting and it's an advertisement for medication and he's got a gun in his mouth and the advertisement the copy the text of the advertisement just says getting close with a question mark as a question and it's this bizarre ad about medication to I, I i don't know to to i guess help you handle the depression and help you not commit suicide um and that is the same that 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 is demonstrative of how of how crass and heartless these ads are and the argument obviously that that cdp would make is they would say well that's the point the world is horrible but the issue is um that the game is is sort of so morally nowhere that 
those ads just come across as flippant and, and nasty. And and it's not just about the trans one. That's my point. It's about all of them. Okay, you're right. But the reason the, the reason the trans ad in particular matters is like so there are ads again that sexualize cis people. Uh, you know, but but yeah, again, course, yeah. we encounter so many humanized cis, cis gender characters in our time with the game that that like. It, it the game does not dehumanize cis people like the advertisements do, but the game says no. But cis people are full human beings. No, and, and that's it that's what I mean. I do not disagree with you. What I'm saying is the advertisements aren't the issue. The rest of the game is <laughs> uh, right. But we 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 do have to acknowledge that we live in a trans. We live like regardless of the game itself, we live in a transphobic society. And so when these images of transphobia in the game, you know, exist and aren't like pushed back against by the game itself, they can carry an, a negative impact and a power that, you know, that other imagery doesn't because cis people are not oppressed for being cis. Trans people are oppressed for being trans. So I think that when developers do things like that, they need to be particularly conscientious and mindful of how they do it. And they need to do it in a way that's like where, you know, the, the critique is clearly built in somehow and that's just not you know in my view that's just not that's just not present in this game um beyond beyond like and to me again the thing with like the flag on the truck that is like cdpr can like cover their ass and say oh no this character is trans like that's why there's a flag on their truck but that's not doing the work within the game of developing you know characters who are clearly trans that care that players have to like engage with and where the game like acknowledges their humanity, mm. you know, in, no, in and, an explicit and, and to way. be clear, to be clear, I think that, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about the world building being good, but that element of the world with right. the way they've, the, the way they've deployed the billboards and stuff like that is a complete misfire, a complete fail on that front. And it's like GTA is extremely problematic, but I would say, a lot of the quote unquote satirical mm. billboards in GTA are a hell of a lot better than a lot of the stuff. Oh, in this so game. much better. Definitely um, better. Yeah. Which, which demonstrates, I think, where they've just completely misfired on that. And then that just compounds with all the issues you described to create a real nasty, you know, yeah. Yeah. atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We're running out of time. Unfortunately, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I will say that. I am enjoying Cyberpunk more than I thought I would. I was actually kind of annoyed installing Cyberpunk because I was like, oh, I want to play Yakuza. Come on. <laughs> but I like from almost the very moment that I started up as a nomad, I was like really digging the vibe and everything. I've found the characters surprisingly likable. Um, I think both of you mentioned that there is kind of a heart and an earnestness to it that you wouldn't expect given how cynical the marketing is. Yeah. So, and as try hard as it can be, it can also at times be cool. It has a vibe to it. Sure. So I'm like, all right, I I'm with it. And night city is undeniably impressive just to look at and explore and engage with. So, um, final thoughts from you two. We'll start with you, Alex. Um, yeah it's i mean i think we've pretty well covered it it is it is a game that is somehow quite often less than the sum of its parts but its parts are oftentimes so incredibly impressive just in the breadth and the scope and what and the the ambition on display and what has been achieved so far even though as we said there's quite some there's quite a few shortcomings 
um, that it's 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 clearly an important game, uh, but it's it's certainly not without its flaws. Be that on a technical level, be that on a social level, be that on a game design level. Um, if you're on the fence, especially if you're on console, maybe you want to be waiting a little while. Um, but I do think I've seen a lot of people say, um, because of various things about the way this game has been marketed, I don't want to play it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. What I would say is I think there's enough here that I want those people to actually play the game because for one, I think it's worth playing. And for two, I want to hear their opinions on all the various troublesome aspects of it. Um, yeah, I, I, basically, I think we're going to be talking about it a lot for like the next three or four or five years. <laughs> Even if it doesn't isn't the game of the year, it's certainly one of the most interesting game of the year. Yeah, right? totally. So. Carolyn? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that I'm just glad that we can now stop being, stop having our ideas of what cyberpunk is be defined by the hype and the marketing and mm-hmm. start engaging with what the game actually is, like what it actually is, because I think, you know, so like, I mean, so rare to have a game that's built up so much for so long and that, you know, people obviously a lot of players have built it up in their minds so much as something just like absolutely extraordinary and life changing such that they lashed out angrily at critics who maybe said like, Eh, you know, it's it's whatever. It's it's just a game. It's a game. Like, um, but I think that as people get to, you know, I mean, like I saw, you know, there were ads I saw on Twitch constantly in like the the week or two leading up to it that that you know that characterized it as like the next like revolutionary step for open world games. I don't think it's that. Like, I think it's it's. It is very, it is very much kind of in the mold of The Witcher Three, you know, in terms of its structure. It's, but it's cyberpunk, you know, in terms of its atmosphere and tone and setting and everything. Um, you know, it is another open world game, and it, that's what it is. And it's, and it does some good things. It has some real problems, and um, there's a lot to, I think, um, be gained from examining what those problems are and talking about them and also appreciating the things this game does well. So yeah, um, I'm just at this point, I'm just glad that we can finally start talking about it as, as the game that it is and hopefully kind of collectively acknowledge um, in the, you know, in the weeks ahead that, you know, that um, for better and for worse, like it is just another open world game and like, that's okay but we ha- we need to separate like these these notions of it being some like truly revolutionary kind of experience or whatever that that have been carefully cultivated by by marketing and stuff for so long you know we need to kind of um set those aside and start talking about the game that it, that it actually is okay that is our cyberpunk 2077 review roundtable thank you so much to alex and carolyn i think that we are definitely not done talking about cyberpunk. I'm going to play. I'm going to go away. I'm going to play it a whole bunch more over the holidays. And maybe we can do a spoiler round table maybe next month. I think there's a lot to be said. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a huge amount to break down and kind of mull over. And, of course, we're going to have the expansions at some point. So, hooray. <laughs> uh, 
Alex, why don't you promote some stuff? Uh, you can find more of my stuff uh, over on rpgsite.net. Um, I also write over on VG247. Um, so yeah, but if you want the the deep RPG nerd stuff, especially about cyberpunk, uh, hit up hit up that website. And where can we find you on Twitter? Oh, uh, at APZoneRunner or for the website at RPGSite, all one word. does exactly what it says on the tin. And Carolyn? Uh, so I'm a freelancer, so my stuff appears in various places. My cyberpunk review is on polygon.com. Uh, but to just kind of keep up with me and my, my work, uh, probably best thing to do right now is just follow me on Twitter at Carolyn Michelle. All right. Thanks to Carolyn and Alex. And let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, thanks to Alex and Carolyn for joining me. And let's keep talking about cyberpunk because it's time for the track of the week, the segment in which we take a look at a track that defines the RPGs that we like. Because as we know, music is so important to this genre. And this week, we have a track from Cyberpunk 2077. See if you recognize this song. Okay, that is Chippin' In by the Swedish hardcore band uh, Revised, or Refused, my apologies. <laughs> and uh, in the game, interestingly enough, they're kind of an alternate band called Samurai. Um, and this is basically Johnny Silverhand's song. I think he performs it in game, am I right? Uh, yeah, he, he steps in and so to be clear, this is... This is not necessarily a good song. <laughs> you don't like Swedish hardcore? Yeah, and this is also like, I, th from my understanding, this is a song that like existed in the lore prior. Um, but it's got this real, I don't know, butt rock energy to it. Like it's try just, hard energy, like cyberpunk. Like like. You have to meet Johnny Silverhand in game and just listen to him like yell at you and cuss at you and get an idea of the ego of this character. And the song makes so much more sense in context. <laughs> it reminds me of like out of context of the songs I would listen to. I would have to sneak them behind my mother's back because it would make her mad. And this was the 80s, like Guns N' Roses. She let me listen to Appetite for Destruction, but I just kind of listened to it and it reminds me of of that except of course appetite for destruction is legendary this is as you say kind of butt rocky kind of butt rocky it's it's like fun how they play with it in the game though because like i i initially the first time i heard the song i think it was on a radio somewhere and i was like oh this song is gonna be annoying i'm gonna hear it all the time and then you hear it like <laughs> three more times and by the third time you're like bah, 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 i'm chipping it oh, okay you know so, <laughs> you get the stockholm syndrome <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And the, yeah, there's a moment in the prologue uh, slash act one uh, where Jackie, who's kind of your partner in crime uh, during act one, uh, makes a joke about like, like makes a chip and in joke. And it's so dumb and on the nose and just <laughs> like, cr- like just physically made me like curl up into a fetal position. But like, it, I was like, okay, that's a little bit endearing. And at the point I'm at now, which is in like act two of cyberpunk, I'm just kind of, you know, it's, I, I feel like it is just this really f- comical almost, but like fun and endearing part of this world that there was this rocker dude that was just completely full of himself and wrote these songs that were like, I'm going to yell and protest. Ah, <laughs> like, yeah, I, mean, I feel like that's one of the big questions for this game. Right. And it goes to the controversies <laughs> about like the ads and everything is, are they capable of making trash culture that exists in the world as like, just kind of this omnipresent thing that everybody knows about and doesn't necessarily like while not then valorizing that as like, but no, really it's cool. Like Johnny's a really cool guy and this song is great. Like, so it's nice to hear that it kind of, you know, if characters are cracking jokes about it, that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like even within the game, there's a recognition that Johnny Silverhand is this washed up rock musician who, I feel like he has to ration with the fact that he used to be cool, but is now <laughs> being like him being back and alive again and having to see how people think about him after his death is this weird existential rocker nightmare that I'd never considered before, but is this really interesting angle to take that kind of character. Um, his mom thinks he's cool. Yeah, no, he's, he's literally like, you know, he acts like he's the shit, but you will have characters who will just, say straight up like oh yeah that johnny silverhand guy you know he's a he's just a freaking terrorist and all that like that's it's really fun to see that character have to suddenly rationalize like i i hit a part last night where i walked by a dude who was doing a cover of this song on the street corner and johnny wanted me to go over there and like critique whether that was a good cover of that song or not and it was the most egotistical crap and i was like okay like that's awesome all of that is, is why I say this is not necessarily a good song, like good in quality, but it just builds out the world in a way that I really appreciate. And it's stuck with me a lot more than most of the other stuff that's in cyberpunk, which is just a lot of like licensed music and featured artists. Um, they have a grind set in there, I guess. Yeah, there's like a grime song and a run the jewel song. I the only radio station oh, I listen there... to is like one that's a blues one where for some reason they licensed a bunch of like Miles Davis and Coltrane tracks and stuff and just made a radio station out of that. So that's all I really listen to. But do they have a uh, blinding lights by the weekend? They, they should do not. That is <laughs> that is a good cyberpunk song. I feel that's like there are a lot bad of emis- that's a bad emission. I would date that so much though, and like three years but here's the thing do they have an oldie station that's just contemporary music from today oh no. yes they should and, and mm-hmm. i don't uh-huh. think there's like a i don't think there's a fallout mm-hmm. channel either where they just play the spurs that jingle <laughs> and stuff like that well you can't take that that's that's fallouts that yeah that's that that'd be too on the nose <laughs> uh but yeah no i i i like the I like the yelling dad rock of this. That's what this it reminds me of. That it's got <laughs> angry dad, dad garage band vibes. 
angry yeah. dad vibes. Dad decided he's going to make a hardcore band. Uh, oh. and I'm really into dad that. is having midlife crisis. <laughs> so here's the funny thing about here's the funny thing about Refused. Uh, so there, as I already mentioned, they're a Swedish hardcore punk band. They started about 1991. They were originally a quote unquote fresh face positive hardcore band, but they became more radical and progressive as time went on, focusing on far left politics, anarchy, and such. And for a game that is oftenly accused of being kind of regressive in some ways, it's interesting that that's where they went um, in terms of their musical choices. And one of their featured songs, too, featured bands. I, I would mm-hmm. go listen to this band's other work. And I imagine, like most licensed songs, their other work is probably more indicative of the quality of the band than this song is. But yeah, it's that's that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad they got a punk band, at least, and they didn't just get like the Foo Fighters to make this song. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> I like Cyberpunk, the Foo Fighters. I, admit. I do like I do actually like Cyberpunk's soundtrack. It has a it has a grit to it that got me invested in the world almost immediately. I think it's hard to top the Witcher 3 soundtrack, which is really kind of an all-time great in terms of uh, RPG soundtracks, actually. But Cyberpunk, at least it's listenable. It gives me a GTA vibe a a little bit. (laughs) Neon GTA. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Vice City? Yes, yes, Vice City. Absolutely. Witcher, I always just think of the... Flutes and and lutes. We're watching the show right now. Sorry. Yeah, that gets in your head. It really does. Now I know why that song became a meme. But yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's been our track of the week. We're running a little long, so we're not going to do a mailbag this week. If you do enjoy the show, once again, please leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore cap, but I'm at Twitch on twitch.tv slash TV. Not Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at CMUSI, A-N-C-E-A-M-M-O-S-I. And Matthew is at Matthew Olson. That's one T in that name. Um, we'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about RPGs. I think, Nadia, it's about time to start doing our end of the year coverage, I think. Yeah, we have uh, we have reached that point. It is it is time. the The planets are aligned. I would like to do a, I, I would like to do another console RPG quest before the end of the year, but I don't think we're going to be able to have enough time. Unfortunately, mm, that would be a lot of work for the end of the year. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I yeah, suppose because we really only have uh, two weeks left in the week, year. Ultimately, so I think we're probably going to have to yeah. do a. Yearly recap, and then uh, the best RPGs of the year, and call it good. And then, and then big things are happening on January fourth. Very exciting. Yes, mm-hmm. starting again, starting anew, starting fresh. A new, a brand new world for the Blood God. Okay, everybody, we'll be back next Monday as always. Thanks for listening, and for Eric and Matt and Nadia and Alex and Carolyn and myself. Thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. <laughs>